Welcome to the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Do you like cooking, reading about food, or even just eating? Then this podcast is for you. My co-host Charlotte and I work in the food industry. We'll be taking you behind the scenes, meeting the people who make it all happen, and showing you what's going on. Together, we'll bring you an inside view from the food industry with our unique perspectives from our work behind the scenes in food creation and production. Every week, along with our special guests, we'll cover different foodie topics, from baking to growing your own, home cooking, outdoor cooking, and even booze. Our aim is to take a positive look at what the nation is cooking and eating right now. There's so much adaptation, galvanization, and collaboration across the entire food system at the moment. And we'll be talking to some very special guests about the changes in their world, professional and personal, about remodeling, rethinking, and innovating with so much turned upside down and sharing some unique perspectives from field to fork. We'll also consider what food will look like in the future, in the home and outside. This podcast is sponsored by Moorish Hummus, a tasty treat for when eating in is the new going out. Moorish produces a range of delicious dips, including smoked hummus and now new velvet hummus. Moorish is available in Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Ocado and many other stores. Every week, our lucky listeners will be in with a chance to win some delicious dips in our competition at the end of each show, along with some other exciting gifts. I'm Jules Waddell, founder of Moorish Hummus. Yes, there is a link. And I'm here with my co-host, Charlotte, award-winning cookery, writer, teacher and chef. For more on us, check out lovemoorish.co.uk and charlottepike.co.uk. We'll also keep you updated on what shops are open when and for whom on our website pandemic-pantry.co.uk. So, it's time to pull up a chair at the table, sink into the sofa or relax into bed and get ready for the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Pandemic Pantry Podcast. This week we'll be talking about drinks. And as we're still waiting to hear if bars and other hospitality outlets will be allowed to open from the 4th of July, there's a lot we need to know about what to drink at home, as well as some important advice on how not to overdo it. This week, we talk to the glorious food writer, Valentine Warner. Valentine's cookery books gained a special place on my bookshelf after my husband and I first came across him when he presented his own cookery show on the BBC a few years ago, and we fell in love with his cooking. We'll talk to Valentine about what he's been cooking during COVID and also his artisan drinks brand, Heppel Spirits. We also talk to Alice Lassels, a hugely knowledgeable drinks writer at the FT. Alice can also often be seen and heard on TV and radio. Finally, we'll hear from Howard, who's the co-owner of hugely successful Devon Coastal Distillers Salkin Gin. Finally, in case this is the first episode you've listened to, we do like to say up front that we know the audio quality of our content is not perfect and occasionally contains the odd glitch. This is due to the nature of the pandemic and the fact that we and our guests are recording from home with less than optimal audio acoustics and the occasional Wi-Fi wobble. Finally, as always, we've loved receiving your questions about cooking during COVID and we've got some great questions to talk to Charlotte about later in the show. So on to this week's episode all about drinks. Charlotte, have you been having the odd tipple lately? What have you been mixing up? 
I must say I have, and I used to be very disciplined at home, weekends only, but I'm afraid I'm a glass of wine every night girl now. It's quite embarrassing seeing the uh, recycling box going out, but frankly, it's something to look forward to, isn't it? How about you, Jules? Yeah, well, I used to live in France. I did a French degree, and when I lived in France, I lived in an area of France called Charente, and they had this beautiful aperitif, and I was 19, which, you know, that was a long time ago, and I've never forgotten it. And I was saying to my husband, I don't drink a lot, but I would drink, I don't know, probably more than half of the nights of the week. I kept struggling, thinking I don't really fancy, you know, gin and tonic again or wine again. And I had recalled this lovely Pinot de Charente, which is a beautiful aperitif. And I said to my husband, I think I'm going to go online and find some so that I know I've got a treat that I really like. He's always got craft beers and ciders and things in the house so I said you know you've had those delivered I'm not sure how much they cost but I won't spend more than what you spent so I can have my little stash and I've got this beautiful pinot and I have to say it's arrived I'm very careful only to have because it's stronger than wine but you drink it in a wine glass and yeah careful not to have too much but it is delicious it's chilled and it's quite sweet I guess it's like a French sherry and it's just lovely so that's what I've been having Gorgeous. Your main tipple is is wine, is it? It is actually, yes. We do have a bit of a cellar going on and I like it. I don't like sweet drinks. I find a spirits a bit too strong to drink on a weeknight with just sort of whilst I'm cooking supper. So a glass of wine feels just right. How are you, Charlotte? I'm fine, thank you. Bit up and down this week, have to say. But you know, in terms of everyday life. Not much has changed. We're still working from home and that shows no sign of changing anytime soon. There's the option potentially of going back to work for my partner quite soon, but I think they're generally following the advice, don't go in unless you have to. So we're still being at home. And I must admit, I'm getting a bit bored with the lack of variety of being at home. It's fine, but I really find that it's taking its toll the longer it goes on. I'm quite like not having people coming to the house each day, each morning, having to get up and dressed and, you know, letting people in at eight o'clock. But I have to say, just being here all the time is really, really strange. The evenings are quite nice because I never used to be around in the evenings, but otherwise, you know, that repetition is really starting to get to me. But as we were talking about just before, we started recording. We've not been feeling very good over the last couple of weeks, really. Uh, really not feeling very well, very, very drained. And as I mentioned before, I think we think we may have had it back in February, but something seems to be rumbling on that doesn't feel right. I don't know if anyone else is feeling feeling similar, but it really is a bit strange and I'll be really interested once a test becomes available to see if we've had it because we just don't feel right in a way that we haven't experienced before but yeah all very odd and how are, how are things with you this week? Oh thanks for the update Charlotte and I'm sorry to hear you haven't been feeling well it does sound like there's definitely something going on and wouldn't it be nice I always say I don't might well not that I don't mind what the problem is, but it's very helpful to know what problem you're facing and then you can deal with it, isn't it? If you knew that, that you'd had it and that's what you were dealing with, then, then you could get on with it, couldn't you? Totally agree. Totally agree. It's all really, really strange. And I think that's why we're wondering if we've had it because we've just been feeling so odd and 
just totally white in a way that comes in waves every few weeks and is something that is very hard to sort of push through, if you like, unlike other periods of just being tired and run down. It seems very hard to sort of dig deep and push through. Yeah, and everybody has differing symptoms. Some people are asymptomatic, but yet test positive. It's so hard to know, isn't it, if this is what it is, because your symptoms sound like they might be it. But, you know, some people have horrendous symptoms, some have none at all. It's also very strange. I was listening to something on the radio this morning with Bill Gates talking about a vaccine, and who knows when that will happen. And it does feel, you know, you're saying like, there's no imminent change in in your likelihood of going out to work. It feels like we don't know when anything might change. You know, I'm still paying our cleaner, which I understand we're hugely privileged to have a cleaner. She's clearly not working at the moment. She is shielding and not very well. So we're still paying her. But you think, at what point you know, what is this tipping point where we'll be able to go, ah, oh, right, it's, it's all okay now. People can go back and do the things that they used to do or, or would want to do again. And it's the, the unknown, I guess, is what we're all still grappling with. Yeah. And again, talking to my teenage daughter the other day, I was saying, she was saying out of, out of the family of four of us, so my son and I had pneumonia a couple of years ago. My husband has asthma. So she's concluded that she's the least likely to suffer. And of course, that is seemingly the case. But again, it's so random and some people do seem to suffer without, you know, having that predicted. It's just also very complicated and I'm still finding explaining it to the children really difficult. And actually we went out, my daughter and I had to pop into town the other day for the first time in probably months. We had to go and get some medicine and she came with me and we were walking up the street. It was an absolute ghost town. Nobody there. So this is in Totnes, um, the nearest sort of big town to where we live. And she was in her sports kit and she was saying, oh, you know, she's 15. She was feeling self-conscious. And the one or two other people we saw were also in sports kit. And I was saying, you know, that's what everybody wears. So when you get up in the morning, you do get dressed if you can bring yourself to, which the old working from home adage is that a lot of people just sit in their pajamas all day. But yeah, my daughter was saying, well, I'm either in my pajamas or my sports kit. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> so yes, I've had to uh, order some more sports kit online because she keeps stealing mine. So <laughs> <laughs> I did the same as well, actually. <laughs> it was so comfy <laughs> being at home. <laughs> and then if you feel like doing a bit of sport later, you're good to go. <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's really interesting. You said that it was really quiet when you went out because I've noticed it's been heaving here when I've been out shopping. Really uh, busy. And and we've really noticed this like easing in movements because it feels like people are really getting out and about here. So really busy. Roads are busy. I went shopping. Traffic was really busy. I went to the petrol station for the first time since March. I used to be on <laughs> two <laughs> tanks of diesel a week <laughs> before this. That's now a glamorous outing, isn't it? It's like going to the tip. You're like, oh, I'm going out to get I know. fuel or go to the tip. Well, I agree. The roads. So where we live, we're in a tiny village. And Totnes, our nearest town, is a very much independent retail little town. So what I do notice is the roads are a lot busier. And I think that's people going off to work and going to the cities like Exeter and Plymouth. But in Totnes itself, all those little independent retail shops are still not open. And so it really does feel like one of those Wild West movies where there's a ghost town and 
what life used to be like, you can still see clearly. And there's notices on the shop windows saying we're closed for the foreseeable. Just also totally odd. But I have to say we're, we're largely good and healthy, thank goodness, at the moment. Good. Yesterday it was raining and I said to my husband by mid-afternoon, I'd been really working hard all day as I do, you know, nothing different there, but I felt different. I felt really hemmed in. And I said, I'm going to have to just go out and, and do something and, and get out of the house because something about the weather definitely makes a difference in my head. And even though I wasn't any more trapped yesterday than I, than I have been on any other particular day, it was that feeling of, I would like to go somewhere. Oh, I can't because there's nothing open. There's nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to see. And that was a strange feeling. So I'm really hoping they sort something out, they, the mysterious they, before winter. Because that, yeah. I would like to not be trapped inside, as I'm sure everybody would. That's not personal to me. It's hard, isn't it? Especially, I think you and I are in similar situations insofar as you, it is now possible to meet in small gatherings outside but you can't stay over and I don't really have anyone close enough to be able to do that with unless I drive two hours each way to you know sit in a garden for a couple of hours come back I mean it's possible and it's not that I don't want to see my friends and family but unless you're really close it's still really difficult to do that sort of thing isn't it and it doesn't feel essential I guess it kind of is Mm. one point for your mental health but it's also that ethical battle in my mind I could drive to you know four hours to go and see my sister in West Sussex but you know that feels like it's like the old (laughs) Dominic Cummings thing not that we will talk politics on this show but it feels like you really have to decide what's essential and what isn't and take your risks accordingly and it's not about a whim or what you would like it's about what you really might need to do and Again, that's a whole new way of thinking, isn't it? It is. And as a Dorset girl, it's been quite interesting watching, <laughs> watching what's been happening over <laughs> the last little while. Well, we, we'll do that on our political podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for the politics podcast. Anyway, talking about food and drink, much nicer topic to focus on. We have got the wonderful Valentine Warner talking about cooking and his Heppel spirit. So let's hear what Valentine had to say. Valentine Warner is a chef, food writer, broadcaster and co-founder of Heppel Spirits. Valentine is well known for his books and television cooking, including What to Eat Now and What to Eat Next. His latest book is called The Consolation of Food and it was published last October. It's a collection of stories with recipes. His cooking is deeply rooted in nature and the seasons with a sense of wild adventure. He's also the co-founder of Heppel Spirits, which he set up with Nick Strangeway in 2013. They've created a range of spirits that capture the flavours of botanicals native to their home on the Heppel estate in Northumbria, including their wild juniper, Douglas fir and slow and hawthorn gins. Valentine Warner, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Pandemic Pantry Podcasts, hello. Thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Valentine, there's a story... It's a total story. pleasure. I mean, I think if, um, it's a total pleasure to be here. I think otherwise I'd be outside whittling another stick. <laughs> That's brilliant. Valentine, is there a story of adventure with Heppel as there is so much of what you do? Well, I mean, for a start, if you look at the kind of ragtag bunch of people in it, it's a, a male, stri- it's kind of, I describe this as tweed and tattoos. 
Um, <laughs> there's, there's nothing straightforward about Heppel. I think if, you know, in the people, a very excitable bunch of enthusiastic experts, my partners, and then also, you know, you arrive in the kind of inevitably rain-lashed moorland of Northumberland and see a kind of a small coaching house. But then you come into it and it's full of lots of very modern and alternative machinery kind of going ping with, you know, just light displays. And so there's nothing that you would expect. It's a company of surprises, very passionate people. Yeah, it's, it, it's a wild adventure, not least for, you know, kind of having to climb trees to cut branches down or, or nights out on the moor. And the wild nights of tasting are experimenting with our produce. That can become quite wild as well. So yeah plenty of and then we're also in the middle of the national park in one of the kind of in the empty quarters of the uk in this very very wild place of you know heather and rocks and foxes and grouse and up in the wildlands and there's a real sense of foraging which i think is quite a unique slant on gin with what you're doing is is that part of something that you deliberately set about bringing to the company uh, that's a, a, a great question i think the point is with heppel that Walter and I had both left our respective businesses disgruntled, wondering what we were going to do next. Been friends for life since we were little kids, kind of chasing trout in our pants in the stream. <laughs> and we were walking one day and we're coming up with all sorts of ideas. But then I, we kind of stopped and, and it was, look, we've got all this juniper in front of us and there's amazing water. This is a kind of huge wet bog of trickling, wonderful water. There's empty buildings. So the idea really was to start something that was a direct reflection of the moors to make a cold climate gin, as Walter describes it, a cold breath from the mountain, which was everything to do with a place. I think as a cook, I've always responded directly to where I'm standing. That could be a marketplace. It could be plants growing in a hedge. It could be a history of a place. But there has to be logical bridges for me. And so I think Heppel is all about that. If you're picking the juniper and from the juniper you can see the douglas fir trees then you incorporate the douglas fir trees and when you're standing next to the douglas fir tree and you can smell that kind of eucalyptus menthol smell of the bog myrtle on the wind then you slowly realize that there's this environment which has got so much to offer you and why you know we're not about seeking things from the four corners of the earth we're about what's not stand still listen look and then start to experiment i think you know although we do there are things like lemons but we use a mouthy lemons for consistency but also their fragrance we nibbled our way through 25 types of juniper it grows all over the world and many berries look different the taste is different and we settled on italian and macedonian but then the idea was look you know we've got all our own juniper all the gins are kind of use one ripe one why don't we also put the green juniper in rather than it being always about the mature berries? What happens if it's kind of young and green? Does it add an apple freshness? And it did. So, you know, and now we're experimenting with it. Yeah, so it's kind of all under our noses and we're trying to use as much off that place, off the property as we can. And then in the gesture of exchange, kind of look after it and put juniper back on the moors where it was grubbed out and kind of look after the place because it might sound rather trite to say, but... Mother Nature is our business partner. So due care is kind of needed that the distillery and, and everything grows with us. Also, as three people who, four people, passionate about, you know, the countryside. 
I think that's so interesting because quite often in the search for something different, we look further than what is immediately ahead of us and there is so much that we can draw inspiration from right in front of us. Also at Heppel we make a vodka made with Douglas fir pine needles to get that wonderful melony grapefruity freshness out of it and we make a slow and hawthorn gin as well just so you know that we've got three things there at the moment. Amazing and, and the the fir the slow the hawthorn is that all from the Heppel estate? Yeah, so the gin is from the Heffel Estate, the Douglas fir is from the Heffel Estate, and the Slow and Hawthorne, yes, not the Slows, but they How beautiful, fantastic. In terms of your, your business, what's happening in the current situation in terms of sourcing the botanicals, what's happening with your operation? How are you having to adapt to the current situation? We're, at, we've kind of, we're, we're in a kind of stasis at the moment. We obviously have you know, produce going out, but not at the rate that it's been. So we're kind of holding, you know, we're, we're healthy and holding fast and kind of thinking really. I think the, the initial thing for us was, look, you know, we didn't have a business eight years ago. And due to all the wonderful, you know, help, the chefs, the bartenders, they've made an idea hatch into something that's now a business. So our initial response was, well, let's help hospitality action because without the hospitality industry, you know, we don't have a business. So that was really our first, which was to put, you know, one hour's living wage back in on every bottle, £9.30, which would go to hospitality um, action. Then really what we're thinking about, you know, we've had a board meeting today is there's quite a lot of guesswork at the moment. You know, we don't know where we are and we don't know how soon this is going to be over. What does it mean when it is over? Do you just, you know, are we all going to race back and just flick all the buttons on? And, you know, there's lots of things that need to be thought about. Walter has been incredibly ill. Coronavirus really got to him in a very, very bad way. Um, He's just come out of that. So we're kind of beginning to kind of talk about how we go forward but there's a lot of unknowns at the moment and so that's what we're working our way through but in the meantime you know Nick's sending out lots of you know Nick lives in Copenhagen and when he's not here so he's making lots of delicious martinis I've been out pickling wild garlic buds because I love a Gibson martini which would normally have pickled Mm. but I'm going to do it with little pickled and wild garlic buds so you know we're still sharing drinks and talking to people on social media and and we'll see. But these are strange times. And um, mm. we just, yeah. They are, and, sorry, where can we buy Heppel Gin? How can we support the company? Ah, that, well, you can support Hospitality Action by actually buying it directly through our distillery. So we'll package and send it to you. And then £9.30 goes to Hospitality Action. Or then, of course, there's, you know, we've got the Whiskey Exchange and Waitrose online and stuff. So, you know, plenty of places to find us. Waitrose or through the distillery that's what people will want to know i'm sure we'll get questions saying oh that sounds delicious where can i get some so that's good to know masters of malt there's another one whiskey exchange masters of malt weight throws and our distillery but, but you know want to do something good for hospitality action and come through us that's amazingly generous and it is it is such delicious gin it is really fantastic what changes are you seeing in terms of customers buying and drinking at home at the moment are you noticing people are buying more direct from you? People are more interested in we've got a uh, few, trying. We've got a few coming directly for us. I, I kind of, I guess I'm, I've been rather holed up. 
I know that I'm drinking quite a lot of cider. <laughs> you can take the, but yeah, you know, take, yeah, I've never stopped, you know, West Country boy. I'm certainly on the apples nice. with the occasional martini. Yeah. Fantastic. And tell us about your book. So the, I believe the Conservation Food, that, that came out last October. Tell us a bit about that. It's such an interesting, actually a read, which, I mean, it's not a cookbook, but it is just such a lovely, lovely book to sit down and just immerse yourself in. Well, I think I, I was kind of asked, what's your next cookbook going to be? And my first answer was, well, I think there's enough cookbooks. And I'm not sure I really want to, you know, write another one at the moment, like, you know, in the traditional sense. So I said, um, what do you want to do? So then my reply was, I want to write a cookbook for divorcees and the recently bereaved, which was more a kind of idea of kind of talking to you know, the recently bereaved and, um, and the divorcees. I've lost my father and have also been divorced. So I thought I was in some situation to, you know. And they said, my God, you're so gloomy. I didn't agree, although I did think it should be printed on kind of psalm paper and be about the same size as a psalm book. But anyway, um, that didn't go down very well. So I said, well, I've just got a lot of agitation in my mind that I've been carrying around for a long time. I kind of, I would like to talk about divorce, but in a, you know, a not lighthearted, but in a kind of honest way, I would like to talk about my thoughts on nature. I would like to talk um, about my father um, and the importance he had in my life, but then also tell lots of stories about kind of wild travels around the world, catering disasters of my life. And just, you know, it was a kind of brain dump, I guess, in, in effect to create room for the second part of my life. So I wrote this kind of mass brain dump, which is about everything, my concerns, my worries. I think moments of aggression, actually, how frustrated I feel about things. And then with recipes that, you know, things that I, I'm inclined to visit quite a lot, you know, at home. So it was a, it's a flag in the ground from a 48-year-old who's got thus far. And how, is, how has it been received? Have you had much feedback? Yes, there's been quite a lot. It's been very positive. I, I'm never happier than when people say you made me laugh a lot because I like making people laugh as much as I like to laugh myself. And then also, I, yeah, it, it got, I've been very pleased with the reviews, but I don't think one should say that, you know, that's for other people to say, but I've been very happy actually. It is a gorgeous book to read. It's very, it is absolutely lovely, really strikingly different. And you are so good at telling such engaging tales it is so lovely um, I, hope I, I hope so i kind of i think in pictures it's quite hard for me to write books i move around so much i'm constantly on my feet i almost need to move in order to be able to think better that's why i like cooking or fishing I need to be occupied by you know frenetic movement in order to kind of slow the brain down but i really it's a hard to write but i but thank you i kind of i enjoyed it but i think in pictures and i think that that's kind of what comes out of it i like to explain the pictures in my head and yeah. if anybody would like to find the pictures in your head, that book is available, isn't it, on the websites of, of good bookshops? All good bookshops and not bad ones. <laughs> that is good well, listen, talking about frenetic activity, what was your life like before? What was a day in the life of Valentine Warner? You'd wake up and then what would you do? And how has that changed? What's life like for you day to day at the moment in these strange times? I think a, a kind of worn a day is I don't wake up slowly. I'm up like a, you know, and, and then I have to leave the house. I don't like a kind of slow pottering around in the kitchen with, uh, you know, dressing gown on. I'm out. I go to a cafe, I order coffee. I sit on the street and I just start to soak it all up. I'm a super soaker. And then 
very happy if there's a few meetings all around the same time, but, you know, in the middle of town so I can go, you know, into town. And then I would normally come back past the food market or buy some food and then go home and, you know, do some writing and probably get distracted either by my fishing kit or suddenly wanting to play a record I haven't heard. You know, think, things appear in my brain out of nowhere and which causes for quite a lot of distraction. And then, you know, then the day comes to an end and you cook. I cook every day at home. I don't stop cooking sometimes twice a day. So then, you know, making some nice dinner and pulling the cork out of something. But then here, I've realised that the constant movement of London, you know, the having, you know, three different businesses of my own and also consulting for other people, how much peace there is down here. I've kind of, I'm beginning to understand myself more in a way that I haven't for the last few years. I'm kind of understanding. Dorset, is that right? In Dorset, yeah. And lots of walks lots of nature which is where I like to be kind of most a lot of time in the kind of the delicate scent of the bluebell woods and all the wild garlic come out so lots and lots of walks and then this kind of wonderful there's been a lot of swapping down here I saw somebody the other day who from two meters away gave me 36 scallops and I gave him a bottle of gin Um, another friend of mine who's you know he'd had a whole load of cuttlefish came in and sold it to me at a you know at a price you know three kilos of cuttlefish to what would probably cost you know 200 grams of cuttlefish in london so there's been you know and then everything's but you know there's sea kale on the beaches there's all sorts of kind of wonderful there's lots of wild garlic you know i think the first time in my life i've heard please not nettle soup again (laughs) Um, you know alexander's growing on the side of the road and cleavers to go into salads i mean it's been really really wonderful but i think and then a lot of time sitting on my own and thinking you know what are we going to do after this and i think local is the way to solve problems global how can any of us handle global the way we worry about global how does it affect the human mind for something that's far beyond our capabilities but then you see local, you see the cooperation, you go, you see how kind people are being down here, really, really kind. And I'm just really trying to navigate my way through what I think that I want when this is over. And that leads us on to what we always like to finish with, which is what, and you're only allowed three. What... Could I add one last thing? Oh, come on. I'm sorry. The last thing I'd like to add is also, I think my difficulty down here has been that my children live in Spain, in the Pyrenees, and my not being able to see them, I find, that that I find very hard, and you have to kind of snap a bit of your heart off and hide it away for the period that you're required to, because I I miss them every day. I think that's a really, really important point, Val. I'm a parent, and I, I can't imagine that. It must be just so hard and I think you're quite right to make that point because you will not be the only person in that situation and it's something we haven't touched upon yet during these conversations with people and that must be happening to many people men and women across the land and what a difficult thing so I'm guessing one of your one of your things you'll be looking forward to would that involve seeing your children and giving them hugs I yeah I can't wait to step out of the car and Minnie and Louie to yeah I will pro- I'll be the one racing towards them yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely them up in my yeah and then yeah spoil them rotten needless to say lovely are you, are you able to keep in touch with them regularly through, yes through, I do and yeah. I am happy that you know they are in a part of Spain you know they're up in the high Pyrenees on the French border and you know they are in a, a relatively place that's relatively less affected 
and living in the middle of nature, you know, in a very, very beautiful part of the Pyrenees, of the east, you know, kind of central eastern Pyrenees. So they're in a good place at the moment, but I think that Spain's been very strict and it was only yesterday that they were yes. actually allowed out, allowed out for a walk after six weeks. Yeah, that's been really tough to, to watch, you know, just through the media, those, those kids in Spain being literally trapped indoors for so long and lots of people in Spain live in very small places. And, and flats yeah, I mean, even, I lived in I mean, Spain. Even from... in London, I just kind of like to, you know, mm-hmm. those of you going, Val, you're really annoying because it's all right for you. Yes, it has been all right for me. And, you know, I'm looking out the window at a gold, you know, a whole load of gold finches and out over the, the valley. And I have been very lucky. You know, I don't have to get to the park or, you know, I, I walk onto my sister's farm and I can get into a wood, which is, and be amongst. So I'm, I've been very lucky in where I found myself during this. And yes, I'm very aware of that. Uh, how difficult, I mean, imagine being stuck in student halls or, you know, all the different scenarios of people who must be feeling lonely, depressed and frustrated. If you don't know, I think there's something about the lack of control of knowing when it will end. You know, we, d- we just don't know how long this will go on for. But at some point it will end in some shape or form. And it would be great to know, we'll, we'll let you have the kids as a bonus. What other three things are you looking forward to, Valentine, when this is, this is all over? Three things I'm looking forward to. Three things I'm looking forward to. Well, I, the fishing ban has been more painful than I can, you know, because when I'm not cooking, I'm, I'd have been, you know, muddy knee, kneeling in the, the wild garlic, trying to hook the little golden trout out of the streams down here. Anyway, that's not been on offer. So I think probably the first thing I'll do when this is over before I go back up is go after the sea trout and the inky blackness of night with a pocket full of worms and a the pocket cider in the other pocket. I think I'm above that, obviously, looking forward to my children. Is, is that, I don't know if you've said it for me, but that's right at the top of the list. Then comes fishing. I'm a tactile person who loves being with their friends. And modern technology is great, but there's nothing quite like standing with the people that you really like and gesticulating and talking with your mouth full while you're holding a glass of wine. So I'm looking forward to seeing all my friends, actually, and not having phone calls with them because I don't like this. You know, I use the modern world and the technology, but I I like being face to face with people. Mm. And we talked about the Pyrenees. What about what about Norway? Norway is is a I've I think one of the Norway is something very wonderful. A while back, um, five years ago, a woman called Ingen Rasmussen amazing woman who's one of happens to have six brothers and six sisters called me up from Korea um said I'm stuck here um working here on work but you seem to be on television a lot I've ordered your books and I just want you to come to my book in Norway where I'm going back to come and see what we've got and in short I said I you know this I love trolls I love woods I spend a lot of time thinking about living in a wooden cabin and walking around with an axe and this is everything that I want to do. And we just made a series across Scandinavia at that point. And I want to work here more, but I can't because I'm a bit time poor. Anyway, I got on the phone with her and she was so wonderful and funny that I just thought, sod it, I'm coming. So she sent me an air ticket. And five years ago, I arrived in the Lofoten Islands and went on this heartbreakingly beautiful drive to Holman Lofoten where I spent three days with her drinking aquavit and fishing and talking and discussing. She said, what do you think we should do? So in short, the idea that we came up with, we'll take the world's best cooks up there 
but not chefs who are, you know, overly contrived or are going to send us a list of 2,000 things that they need, but people who will come and say, there's cod there, we can see the mushrooms, we know that the, you know, baby goats, that's the time of year, we'll cook with the seaweed. So chefs who were like Gil Mella, who's already been up, Nathan Outlaw's been up, uh, Nuno Mendes is coming, Angela Hartnett's meant to be coming in September. So the people who can really respond to the wilderness around them and then come and cook for guests. But in the meantime, the problem up there is the, the weather is master of all up there and with all the best intention. If people can't get outside because, you know, the wind's blowing it shut or it's the whole place is six foot deep in snow, we realized that we, we had to have people there to teach people how to do things when they weren't eating or they couldn't get outside. So we've got two knife makers who come up there and teach knife making. I've invited Jim Parkin from Ardman Animation, who's going to come up and oh, teach plasticine um, workshops to all our They're amazing. They're so good. Um, so I love the, yeah, the idea of, you know, be up there making a plasticine narwhal as the snow falls outside. <laughs> and then, you know, we have music and people coming to, to speak and stuff. So it's kind of three days, whole days of total rebalance. The, the wind up there just blows all the shit out of your head to skid away across the sea. And it's, and it's super nature. It's so beautiful. So it's a kind of come and eat well, come and think healthily return home with a beautiful little knife at your side and that's kind of what we're doing up there and how can people find out more about that then visit www dot sorry so, yeah so you look up i'm um, holman lefoten holman h-o-l-m-e-n lefoten as in lefoten islands and then you click on kitchen on the edge of the world and therein you will find the relevant information we shall put a link to that on our website it sounds absolutely amazing Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute treat. Lovely to talk to you. I'm sure you will uh, be just itching to get back to that fishing. Hopefully it won't be too long. And take care. Thank you very, very much indeed. So thank you so much to Valentine. As we say, we are really lucky to have had him as a guest on the show. Actually, one of my favourite cooking recipes that I've loved to make for many years is a prawn, cumin and spinach dish with rice from Valentine's fabulous book, What to Eat Now. And now we know what to drink too. Absolutely. And I must say, he does an excellent venison rogue and Josh as well. His curry recipes are so Ooh. good. I really enjoyed that. And it was particularly interesting to hear about the ethos of Heppel as well. What an absolute delight. Indeed. Now, let's hear from Alice Lassels. Alice Lassels is a drink writer and author. Alice writes about drinks of all kinds for the Financial Times and FT Weekend, as well as regularly broadcasting on BBC Radio and Channel 4's Sunday Brunch. Alice's first critically acclaimed book, Ten Cocktails, The Art of Convivial Drinking, was published in 2015. She has won awards for her writing, most recently being named the 2019 Fortnum & Mason Drinks Writer of the Year. Alice Lassels, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, indeed. We're so happy to have you. What have you got to drink? I'm having a gin and tonic, but I'm having a bit, bit of an exotic gin and tonic because it's made with something called geometric gin and symmetry tonic cordials, which are all made in the Western Cape in South Africa from lots of local botanicals. So there are lots of unusual flavours like boohoo and things like that in it. I don't know if you can hear it. Wow. It's but it's um so it's got very specific tastes that are very specific to that part of the world and um it's delicious and sort of tangy. 
I saw you posting about it on Instagram yeah. a while ago, <laughs> and it seems to be something that's really evocative for you of a time and a place. Is that something that immediately comes to you when you drink it, drink it and taste it? Yeah, well, the, the first time I went to Swatland, or the only time I've been to Swatland, was a couple of years ago because I wanted to go and visit a winemaker called Addy Bardenhorst, who was creating, as well as making wine, was making this long-lost, recreating this long-lost aperitif called caperitif, which was flavoured with lots of finbos, as they call it, the local herbs that just grow in the wild there. And uh, I did a big tasting with him, and a botanist of a lot of these herbs, so things like boohoo and stuff. I, you know, they really burrowed into my brain and my heart, those smells and tastes. So they really come through in, in these ingredients in a wonderful way. Amazing. Well, I'm in Cyprus tonight. This is a brandy sour. And that's taking me back. I was saying to Charlotte before we hit record that I'm a bit sick of gin and tonic. Not I don't have the exotic options that you've got. I'm a bit sick of just, you know, the usual. And I looked at the drinks cabinet and thought, nah, I don't really fancy anything. But I know what would be nice, a brandy sour. And so I looked up a whiskey sour recipe. And the one on the BBC was written by... <laughs> 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 so I thought in honour of you and in memory of lovely holidays in sunny Cyprus, here I am having a brandy sour. The funny thing was, I'm not a brandy connoisseur. I was saying to Charlotte, it normally goes in the Christmas pudding. And that's kind of the only time that, that I would have brandy in the house. But I could only get what was available in the village shop. So I'm sure there are better brandies. And I used to live very near cognac. So I'm aware that, you know, one can go on the whole breadth of, of brandy options but actually this is very tasty and your recipe is really good <laughs> good that's amazing good. and yes. i'm i've headed to ireland this evening so i actually have ireland i think of as my second home and i have a jameson whiskey because i spent three months at ballymaloo and middleton is the local jameson and middleton is the local distillery there and I have a nice ginger ale from Northern Ireland, also Trotons. So I've got a full Irish. Yeah, what's that? What was the um, ginger ale that you said from oh, Ireland? Oh, yes. It's Trotons and it's made in Portadown. Oh. Mm-hmm. And yes, and it's really nice. It's quite fiery, but also quite dry, not too sweet. And I'm liking it. I've got a really good squeeze of lime in there. So correct my pronunciation if I'm wrong, but slaunter. Shall we move out of the pub and on? <laughs> so Alice, the last few weeks have brought so much change to the drinks industry. Apart from the fact that the out-of-home market is shut down, but I did read about people selling takeaway cocktails in New York. What changes have you seen in the industry that have been particularly striking over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, well, as you say, it's obviously been devastating for the bar and restaurant industry, and also for the drinks producers who supply them, whether they're big companies or the little independent producers and winemakers and so on. So that's has been and it's been more of a challenge for some sectors than others. For example, English wine, English and Welsh wine has been particularly hard hit because a lot of those producers depend on restaurants and also tourism for their sales. So if you want to support the little guys, you can buy some English or Welsh wine as well. 
so that's that's the on trade. So it's been very very serious for the on trade. For the off trade, however, which is the off licenses and also independent wine merchants, they've and the big supermarkets as well have seen a huge spike in alcohol sales. Depending on which source you look at, it can be between twenty and forty percent. So uh, that's really bucked the trend for a lot of retail sectors at the moment. So I think, yeah, everybody's drinking more at the moment. <laughs> we were talking to Tess Lister from Shipton Mill Flour about the supply chain and how the massive increase in demand has led to problems because they just can't make it that quickly and you know they weren't set up for it. There doesn't seem to be the same issues with keeping the alcohol supply stocked. Is that is that a different model? Mm. Well, it depends which category of alcohol you're looking at because something like gin or whiskey, you know, is stable once it's in the bottle. So there will be big stocks that are stable that can be tapped into there and production can be ramped up, relatively speaking, easily. Whereas wine is a completely different matter, isn't it? And we're seeing a lot of the really big famous names in wine we're just about to launch some really important wines and are now having to wait. And particularly Bordeaux is now talking about having to hold off and release the next phase of wines next spring, which means those wines will be a whole year older by the time they're released. So you'll actually have a different product inside the bottle by the time people purchase it or taste it. So there are different challenges for different sectors. Of course, you did have the Wine Society closed down temporarily simply because there was such huge demand that they could, didn't have the logistics to meet demand. But they're now back up and running. But like everybody, struggling with just getting the wine out there to people fast enough whilst also keeping their staff safe. I think that's a challenge for them. So you mentioned people are buying alcohol to enjoy at home and, you know, for example, the Wine Society has been uh, receiving more orders than it can safely fulfil in a short time frame. What are people buying at home at the moment to drink? I think a lot of people are falling back on, you know, those comfort drinks, the old favourites, the gin and tonic. Berry Brothers told me that they were completely sold out of claret, for example. You know, people are buying what they know and love in a crisis but also a lot of us now that we have a bit more time on our hands are getting more experimental as well and exploring cocktails more and either that's buying new interesting things or consulting websites for interesting recipes or just having a route around at the back of the cupboard and seeing you know what what you can get and maybe thinking hmm, I might try that cumin or that chartreuse tonight <laughs> or you know last night I was making I've been eating a lot of cheap ice cream from the corner shop, Minute Maid ice cream. And last night I was making cocktails with gin and cheap vanilla ice cream, which was really fun as well. So I think people are becoming more sort of playful. There's a, a trashiness in some ways that's quite fun and people wanting to have a laugh as well, which I think is great. So important right now. <laughs> you wrote a really interesting piece in the FT a couple of weeks ago about new online drinks events for people staying at home. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about what's going on there and possibly some of your top picks. Mm. So a lot of companies have done an amazing job of pivoting really, really quickly. And I think even that roundup that I did quite near the beginning of lockdown 
things have changed and come on a lot since then. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will be like me, getting to grips with new technology every single day. I mean, today I was dealing with Microsoft Teams, which I didn't even know existed until yesterday. So um, likewise, I think drinks companies have to adapt to really quickly. But this is also accelerating a change that was just starting to happen anyway. And I think the silver lining in all of this is it's going to encourage the drinks industry to find new ways to talk about fine wine or cocktails to people and give people access to the people behind those drinks in a way that they probably couldn't have had before unless they were in the trade, which is really exciting. You know, you can meet that winemaker in California or Bordeaux in a way that you couldn't before. In terms of tastings, well, I mean, there are dozens of new ones launching every day, but some just some picks off the top of my head. I saw that I'm um, the Quality Chop House, a favourite of a lot of foodies, are doing a regular Friday night blind tasting from now on, which sounds loads fun. If you are in London and you're able to go and pick up samples, you can actually go and get the blind tasting samples. But I think it would probably be a laugh even if you didn't have the one and you just had a glass of something you liked in your hand. <laughs> so that, that one sounds particularly good. Another tasting that I think is really worth looking into is the series that's been launched by 67 Pound Mal, which is London's preeminent swanky wine club. And they are offering £10 membership, which gives you access to all of their online tastings. And I was looking at the schedule today and they've got an incredible lineup of people coming up over the next few weeks, practically one every day, top sommeliers, top winemakers, masters of wine from all over the world. There'll be a lot that I would want to go and take part in and you can also buy the wine for a lot of those as well so that's definitely worth looking into so suddenly these people are more accessible and this is affordable 10 pounds you know to have done that in person would have a would have been the only option because this didn't happen and b would have been a lot more expensive so as you say this pivoting actually there's a lot of benefit to be had absolutely and i also think there's a nice sort of democratisation of drinks that's going on. I mean, another thing I was going to recommend is having a good route around on Instagram because a lot of top bartenders are also doing just for free brilliant kind of posts every single day. Alessandro Palazzi from Dukes, which was the temple of the martini, is doing regular posts which are very funny but also full of his wisdom about cocktails. Another favourite of mine is the bartender in America called Naren Young, who goes by the name Fork and Shaker. And he's doing very funny stuff from his tiny little apartment in New York. And his big admission is that despite being the person behind the drinks list at the world's best bar, the bar that recently won world's best bar, Dante, he doesn't actually have any cocktail equipment at home at all. So when he does a cocktail <laughs> tutorial, he has the crappy little ice tray, the canned pineapple, the dregs of a bottle of vodka or something like that. And so he's really making cocktails like most of us are at home. And that's really nice to see. And also proof that it's not hard to make great cocktails. And it doesn't have to be swanky. That is very levelling, isn't it? <laughs> and actually, these people, have, they've probably never had so much time available <laughs> to do these things because they're not out at work and thank goodness that they're using that time to do these things that are so lovely for, for the people that can watch them that's brilliant yeah but, and they're actual performers as well which is great so they're good at this you know absolutely 
Fantastic. So you mentioned experiments with corner shop ice cream. <laughs> what are your favorite drinks at the moment, Alison? Do you have any recommendations for people who are possibly trying something in the market for trying something new at home for the first time? I think it's always worth starting with the classics because a really good classic like a sour, like we were t- talking about earlier on, is something that you can really tinker with almost infinitely. So I'm thinking about drinks like the Old Fashioned or the Negroni or the Martini. You can have loads of fun just altering the balance of the ingredients or substituting one thing for something else, you know, maybe trying a different vermouth in your Negroni, adding a dash of, uh, if we just take the Negroni, you could try a different vermouth. You could add a dash of Fernet Branca. That's something I like to do. A dash of bitters, change your garnish. There's so many different things you could do. Add a splash of soda or champagne or grapefruit juice and just have a play with those basic classic formulas. And you'll just find a sort of infinite reservoir of drinks that you can make. And you really don't need to learn a thousand different cocktail recipes. The great drinks are very, very simple and can tolerate quite a lot of bad treatments as well, I think. (laughs) I think that's brilliant advice. (laughs) I'd also suggest just thinking a bit more about the details of a drink. So even if you're just making a gin and tonic, you could improve it by doing really simple things like freezing your glassware, you know, put that cocktail glass or that tumbler in the freezer for a couple of minutes first. Or I like to make big hunks of ice, you know, fill up a Tupperware box with water and freeze it and then hack it up with a knife and a mallet. And you get these lovely, like I've got in here, although they're a bit smaller now, but lovely, great big shards of ice that are really mouthwatering to look at. So there's just lots of simple ways that you can just make your drink a bit sexier, you know. And I think talking of of making it sexier, I think there's something to be said also for all of us being at home together. So if you have a partner, it's lovely that we can, you know, we would never normally be at home hardly at all, never mind together at the same time in the evening before dinner to actually say, you know, what, what shall we have to drink, darling? Oh, well, why don't we have something like this? And we can take the time to make it and drink it. Yeah. And it's like, I guess it's like the olden days when people, <laughs> people were around and they had more time. And there's something really nice about that, isn't there? Yeah, it is lovely, isn't it? Just to say, I just on Saturday night, I said that very thing to my husband. I was like, let's just sit down for a second and just clink our Negroni and just yeah. have a bit of a chat. <laughs> it was really nice. <laughs> We're all about trying to find the positive in what is clearly an incredibly difficult time. There are some some themes that are emerging through these chats that we're having with people about finding new ways, which are often old ways and really good ways that we just had become too busy to appreciate. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And sort of reassessing the things that are under your nose a bit more, I suppose, and, and being surprised in actually the pleasure and the value you get from some of those things that maybe you looked past before when you were rushing around. That's certainly the case of me anyway, you know. So I've been enjoying that reassessment of those things. Absolutely. Well, we know that lockdown is a really strange and stressful time for many, boring for some. Have you got any tips for people who might be mindful that they are drinking more than they wear? And what would you say to help people not drink too much? Yeah, well, obviously, because of my job, this is something that's always on my mind for my own life, you know, (laughs) to have lots of options 
non-alcoholic options in the house at all times and sort of building that into the routine of having nights, regular nights off. I would say laying lots of stuff in the fridge so that you've always got something for that moment when there's that itch at six o'clock. So that could be alcohol-free beer, for example. There's tons of alcohol-free beer, really good non-alcoholic beer now. And I drink a lot of that. Some beers that I really like, there's Athletic Brewing Company from the US, Klaus Thaler Dry Hopped Beer, that's available from Waitrose. Small Beer Company, they're not quite alcohol-free, but they're about 2%. So, you know, very, very light beers. They're really good. The Danish company Mikula, different to Mikulob, Mikula. They're really interesting. If you like your real sort of characterful craft beers, they're great. And also Big Drop, the British company Big Drop. So loads of non-alcoholic beer. You'll get masses of flavour and that satisfying feeling of having a really good drink, but obviously without the alcohol. Well, this has become a massive thing. I mean, the category of, of non-alcoholic spirits as well as beers, it's suddenly within the last, I don't know, 12 months or so, 12 mm. to 18 months, really hugely taken off. I obviously read a lot of industry news of, of the food and drink sector and the non-alcoholic drinks world has just completely exploded. So it's a great time if you are looking for some really different alternatives. Absolutely. I mean, another interesting category is the whole sort of aperitifs, non-alcoholic spirit market i think to be honest there's a lot of emperor's new clothes with a lot of these products so i think the vast majority are not good enough quality particularly for the price but i would like to mention too that i think are really good that i drink a lot at home and they're everleaf which is a bittersweet non-alcoholic aperitif that's flavored with things like vetiver and gentian which is really delicious and also acorn aperitifs, which are a little bit like Campari or vermouth as well. And yeah. both acorn and everleaf are really good with tonic or soda. And they have that bite that's really satisfying. Actually, the things I'm drinking tonight, the Symmetry Botanical Tonics are really good with soda water as well. So you can have a, a sort of exotic tonic water without the gin. So I think bitterness for me is, is really important. For, so a, many, for a grown-up drink, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So many alternatives out there. It's a good time. Mm. So in terms of Alice's day-to-day life, <laughs> so a day in the life of Alice before all of this happened, she woke up and she did what? Uh, <laughs> what's that like? No. What's the difference? As a journalist, my natural mindset is to always be looking for the new things and the faraway things and the things no one's heard of yet and I suppose the last few weeks has closed a lot of that down I normally travel a lot and I'm going out a lot and going to big tastings a lot and so there's a lot less exotic input (laughs) at the moment in that sense but actually I'm really enjoying the way this is driving my attention back to things I maybe knew already or going back into sort of memories of things or finding new connections between stuff. And I suppose just finding different ways to think about things for my work, new ways of writing about stuff. So that's, that's something I've been finding really interesting and rewarding to sort of slow down and examine those things. What's it like trying to work around having your family and you and everybody, because I'm in this situation myself, what's that like? Because it's quite different, isn't it? 
<laughs> How old are your children? So they're 15 and 12, so reasonably civilised, you would think, <laughs> but still needing a fair amount of input. How old are yours? <laughs> they're eight and five, so a little more high maintenance, possibly, I don't know. But um, the thing is, I've always worked from home anyway. I mean, the view you can see now is my, de- my desk, so in that way, it hasn't changed so much. But obviously homeschooling is a, is a whole new challenge. But I've been really enjoying a lot of it. And I think they've been learning a lot more about our lives as well. Like they yeah. learned to savour a champagne bottle on Saturday night. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> champagne bottle, that was brilliant. Well, mine are learning how much housework we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. What three things are you looking forward to, Alice? Whenever this all comes to whatever sort of end it comes to and whenever that might be we only allow you three but what would be your top three things that you're looking forward to that you can't get or do or have at the moment Hmm. well I go to the Lake District a lot my family have a house there and just before lockdown we were about to go on our East holidays to the Lake District and I'm missing it terribly so the first thing ironically I want to do as soon as lockdown is over is go to blissful isolation in the Lake District so just be free to roam properly will be great I miss that a lot traveling I always find it exciting going to an airport and maybe getting off the plane and smelling a different kind of air Mm. you know so uh, I suppose that would be really exciting too and yeah just seeing friends but seeing friends over a glass of wine rather than zoom yeah cheers to that that would be absolutely <laughs> lovely well hopefully it won't be too long for you alice thank <laughs> you so much for your time cheers and thank My you pleasure. very much for coming on <laughs> cheers thank you so much and now let's meet our final guest of the week howard davis howard davis is the founder of Solcom distilling co Howard met Angus Lugston back in 1995 when they were both working as sailing instructors in Sulcombe, bonding over a G&T after a day on the sea. Howard and Angus went on to successful careers elsewhere, but in 2014, they found themselves back in Sulcombe, forming a plan to collaborate. Angus had a keen interest in distilling, and Howard wanted to build a company based in Devon, creating exceptional products. Solcom Distilling Co. was born from their common love of gin and the Devon coastal town of Solcom. The Solcom Distilling Company opened in 2016 after an extensive renovation of the boathouse in Solcom, where they built a distillery and a seriously stylish tasting bar. It is one of the world's only distilleries accessible by boat. Since then, their gins have won several awards, including three stars in the Great Taste Awards and a double gold at the San Francisco World Spirit Awards. They've opened a gin school, a shop, and even collaborated with P&O Cruises to install the first distillery at sea on board their new ship, Iona. Howard Davis, welcome to the Pandemic Pantry podcast. Thanks, thanks. Great to be here. Great to have you on, Howard. will be very interesting to find out what life was like for you before, if you can quickly summarise what it used to be like running your gin company, and what is it like now? Tell us, tell us what's different. Well, I suppose to what it used to be like, I mean, it's been, it's been a fantastic journey for us since 2016, starting up. It's been just so satisfying to develop a gin recipe, start from scratch, build up an amazing team around us, and create a, a product and a brand that we're really, really proud of. 
So that's been lovely. And just watching it grow, grow and grow from there. It's been really, really busy. But of course, in the last, literally in the last four weeks, it's, it's been a colossal change for us, which has been quite challenging. So um, in terms of, of your actual day-to-day life, what was that like? Were you, were you in an office away from the home and now you're home working? What are those changes like? Yeah, so I used to spend probably about half of my week down at the distillery or office down there. And then the other half I'd spend either working from home or often I'd be up in London or other parts of the country seeing clients or uh, maturing partnerships that we have underway. So, of course, in terms of my working location, then yes, now I'm basically at home all the time. The only people that are going into our distillery at the moment are those people for whom it's essential. So we're still busy uh, distilling gin. So some of the production team are still going in, but really there's not many other staff going in at all. So have you had to sort of, I've seen a lot of pivoting, as it's called, with businesses having to very quickly, without really much warning at all, find new ways to supply their product or service. Have you had to find some new things quite quickly to stay afloat? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's two key things that we've done. So one is we already had a portion of our business which was orientated around online sales, both directly from our own website and also from other websites such as Amazon or Master of Malt, other sort of online retailers. So, of course, that's now become a much greater focus because the bars and restaurants are closed, including our own bar and shops, most of the shops. So it's been really now sort of trying to make the absolute most of those online sales that we can in terms of increasing our product range, our offering there, looking at how better we can promote and engage our our customers online. That's been a really big focus. And in terms of the gin school, then obviously people, I've done it. It's an amazing thing. I had it as a birthday present one year and highly recommend when we can. But what, what's happening with that now? Obviously, people can't come along to your, your gin school in person. What have you found uh, to sort of replace that side of things, if anything? Yeah, so that's quite a fascinating area and, and sort of satisfying in some ways. So it was a really sad thing to have to temporarily close a gin school because it's such a part of the business that we're so proud of where, where people come and join us for half a day to develop and distill their own bottle of gin. And so what we're literally just in the process of launching now as an alternate for that is effectively an online gin school. It's got a few facets to it. So we're just setting it up at the moment whereby our guests can um, basically have an online video link with one of our master distillers in our gin school and they could do it with other friends and family in other households as well up to four households at the same time all linked in by video with one of our master distillers then they can talk about the types of botanicals that they might want and flavors within their gin and then literally in real time whilst on video our master distiller will be there selecting this recipe with them putting in a miniature still and distilling it for them and then creating a, yeah, in fact, probably creating a, a four bottles of gin we're going to do to then send send back to them. So that's quite an, an interesting sort of interesting evolution on gin. We're also just setting up now an offering whereby you can, even in sort of an indirect fashion, say what types of flavours you'd like in a gin, and we will create that gin for you if you like in an offline manner as well. So creating bespoke services like that, and we actually sort of had a bit of a trial of one of these literally just yesterday evening, where we did a live Instagram live live video where our master distiller was there with we had about we had loads of people watching and then we sort of crowdsourced a gin recipe so the idea was was that everybody who's watching the video could be putting comments in through instagram um, of what sort of flavors or botanicals they might like what, what they wanted to name the gin and then at the same time then jason our master distiller was listening to these choosing the ingredients and then created a bottle of gin there during a live cast over instagram live 
and we're going to create 100 bottles of that gin. It got uh, the, the name that was most popular was Nightingale, so it's going to be called Nightingale Gin. We're going to yeah. create 100 bottles, and all the proceeds from those sales are all going to go to a charity or to the, um, the NHS basically so that was a real great success last night and actually as of speaking now having only put the bottle sort of on pre-sale yesterday we've sold i think about 85 or 90 of those 100 bottles already wow wow that is amazing and a nice touch that you're going to to give the profit back to the system so that's lovely and in terms of i've seen a lot of sort of brewing and distilling companies in the sort of the media that i look at the food and drink world talking about hand sanitizer and being asked to or, or considering turning your your production facilities into something that could make hand sanitizer has that come across your radar oh uh, yeah it's more than come across our radar uh, we're doing it as well so it's such an obvious thing for distilleries to do it's a really good thing that we can do and actually interestingly we have some if you like byproduct spirit from our distillation process of our gin that is very strong alcohol that we can use to make hand sanitizer with the added bonus that it's got some lovely aroma, <laughs> aroma notes of grapefruit and juniper uh, and other uh, botanicals that we use as well. So we're creating this sort of quite gin-smelling uh, hand sanitizer. And so far we've created over 1,000 bottles of that sanitizer. And actually we've been giving those away to various uh, local frontline health workers, the local police force as well. We put a post up on our Facebook social media about it you know, a, a week or two ago, and the response has just been amazing. And in fact, to be honest, we're now struggling to keep up with demand for the request that we're getting through. But it's been nice, again, to try to do something positive sort of for others, as well as looking inwardly at our own business. Has that been challenging? Because I can only imagine, you know, I understand my world of food production and and to change things you know, quite significantly, you know, even things like the bottles that you would put it in and the supply chain out to, to the end user has has that been challenging for you to turn it around something so different so quickly uh, yeah massively so thankfully the process itself to create the hand sanitizer isn't too complicated the challenge is understanding what is a proper a recipe for want of a better term for hand sanitizer so uh, we found uh, one of the recommended uh, recipes from the who so that's what we're adhering to but then yeah then you need to source other types of ingredients that we wouldn't typically have and not to mention the bottles to put it in, as well as you as you refer to, Julie. And there's uh, been such an increased demand generally to, to get hold of these things, in particular the bottles. Just sourcing those is really, really hard. And that's actually now our biggest challenge to producing more sanitizer is sourcing more bottles in particular, actually. I can believe that, absolutely. Well, well done you for, for doing it and turning it around so quickly. I, I can imagine that kind of thing isn't easy, but it has to be done, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. And it's actually just been a real, it's been a real pleasure. It's actually been a real pleasure doing it. Just, just then it's led us to then engage with a lots of types of organisations and people that we wouldn't have otherwise. So whilst there's a, a lot of negative things about the current situation we're in, and of course it's dreadful, if I was to try to draw some positive about it, it's been quite interesting to sort of start trying to think more laterally about what can our business do you know, to generate revenue in this scenario and also to try to do good in areas where otherwise we may, we wouldn't have been involved in the past. You know, that's been a real pleasure and just getting involved with other things, creating new products, both in terms of physical products like sanitizer and online products as well. It's just, 
it's fascinating. So that has at least been a really positive experience. Kept you on your toes, I bet. Nice and busy. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's so interesting how so many businesses are having to, have had to adapt so quickly after the last few weeks to survive and to thrive. And it'll be really interesting to see which elements stay once things start to get back to normal and how the business model may change going forward. I agree. I think it'll be really interesting. I think both businesses and society will will change forever off the back of this. Uh, but let's focus on the on the business initially. I mean, so as I mentioned earlier, certainly, you know, I think we've learned a lot through this process already. And so things like online sales will continue to be a, a larger part of the business and a greater focus than they may have been historically. Also, it's been it has been great to get involved with things like hand sanitizer that we touched on before. We used to do quite a lot of other areas, sort of trying to do our bit for the community, particularly for us, it was around reduction of plastic usage, the environment, working with the Marine Conservation Society. We have some really great initiatives underway and those will now continue. But also now there's other areas we could potentially get involved with for the future as well, all of which has just been, been a real pleasure. And even right now, you know, we're still looking at coming back to kind of the commercial side of the company. What other ways could we pivot and flip the business around? And there's other opportunities that we're looking at right now that I think will end up becoming a long-term part of the company as well. So yeah, it's going to change us for sure out of it. But you know what? I think for those of us that businesses that survive out of this, I think we'll all be the better and stronger for it. It's a tough time, but I think in the long run, we'll be the better for it. It's been very polarising, hasn't it? Real winners and real losers. And I think, as you say, those that do survive, A, are very, very grateful that that is the case because it's been a complete uh, lottery, you know, of who wins and, and who doesn't. But also, it is amazing what you can do and do very quickly. But there's a, there's a regular theme from these chats that Charlotte and I are having with people around also then having this sort of experimentation phase that none of us were anticipating and this time to reflect and try things and see what works. And I'm sure some of it will carry over in everybody's work and personal life into the new world, whatever that looks like when it comes. So Howard, I've seen that you, you're selling your gins through the website and pretty low low spend to get free delivery, which is good news. And did I see you're doing um, local delivery as well for lucky people down in, in Sulcombe at the moment? Local uh, home delivery? Yeah, so we've, we've actually just tweaked that around a bit, actually. So, yeah, so we, we initially opened up local uh, free delivery for Sulcombe um, because it was we had sort of capacity in the company because suddenly we were doing generally less work than we do previously. We have delivery vans in the business of our own that we use for moving our sort of goods around in a larger scale. And we thought, well, why not? You know, some of the guys that would otherwise have been involved with parts of the business, we've had to temporarily close down. Let's get them involved with doing some free local delivery for that. So we did launch that. And then, and then really then after sort of about a week or so after that, then we thought, well, actually, you know, this has been such a hit being able to offer free delivery. Let's just try and do it on a national scale. Obviously, we're using third parties there for that delivery service, but it was so positively received from people. It just seemed to make sense. It is a cost burden to the company, but overall, you know, we think it's worthwhile. And there's so many people at home who can really benefit from it now. So my final question for you is, I've got a bottle of your lovely gin in my fridge. What do you recommend is the perfect serving suggestion for your, for your gin? Now, I know you've got a range. I've got the rosé in my fridge. What are your serving suggestions for your gins? Well, for, let's start with the Rosé Saint-Marie, which is a lovely, uh, yes, a, a light pink gin, but quite dry compared to many that you experience. It's not overly sweet. It's, it's just really, really sophisticated. I mean, again, let's keep it really simple because we don't all have like 
closets full of really complex ingredients to shake up amazing cocktails. I don't know if we do, let's have that conversation. So for the simple, you know, simple rosé and tonic, literally just, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I'll take a double measure, 50 ml of uh, rosé Saint-Marie, and then a good quality tonic water. You know, obviously there's the fever tree, uh, which is very nice. Otherwise, Luscombe's here in Devon do some really nice tonic water as well. Um, mm. It's a classic Indian tonic water from them. And then for me, then it's all about lots of ice in the glass. So often, you know, we put one or two measly cubes in the bottom of the glass. Let's really load that glass up with loads of ice, good quality, chunky ice. And then for the Rosé Saint-Marie, I would garnish it with a nice slice of strawberry. That really brings up some of that strawberry flavour through. And then a little bit of lemon peel as well. That just brings up some of that citrus in it too. And that's just a fantastic, a fantastic light drink. It's only 2.30 in the afternoon, but uh, you're making me very tempted, Howard. <laughs> Sounds amazing. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful sunny day out there. I tell you, it does fit very well with this weather. So yeah. I'm off to refill my ice tray straight after this. <laughs> Brilliant. The, the lemons and the strawberries. Thank you, Howard. That's absolutely lovely. And in terms of when this is all over and whatever that looks like, can you tell us what three things are you really looking forward to to end on a happy note? Okay, a few things really. So I love being on and around the water and a a core part of my life has always been water sports, be it windsurfing or kite surfing or sailing. And so one of the first things I'm really looking forward to now is getting back on the water actually. You know, I live down here by the coast, every day I'm looking over the sea and it's empty and it looks so inviting. So getting back on there, both on my own or with family, that's the number one thing I really can't wait to do. Then, of course, second thing, it's got to be meeting up with friends, you know, meeting up with friends for a drink, ideally a sorghum and tonic. You know, we're doing a lot of things like having nice sort of video chats online with friends, sometimes with a drink in hand, but still there's no substitute for just sort of being there in person. So meeting up with some friends, getting together again, that, that I really can't wait to do. And then finally, just being able to get a bit further afield away again. So a nice holiday with my family would be really, really lovely. Last year, we had an amazing holiday to Vastaliki on the island of Lefkas in Greece, which is a really beautiful area, fantastic sailing as well. And uh, literally just this morning, I was watching a, a video of someone who lives there uh, cycling around the area, and it was just pulling at my heartstrings. And so I just yeah, that would be it for me. You know, a couple of weeks holiday over in Greece would be amazing. Well, hopefully all of those things are not too far off. We've got to keep our eye on the fact that, you know, this will end and and we will we will be able to do these things again and, and hopefully fairly soon. Listen, thank you so much, Howard. It has been such a pleasure to have you on. Um, I think Charlotte and I have been very inspired and interested by what we've heard. Thanks. It's been an absolute pleasure as well. Thanks, guys. And it only remains for me to say that Howard has very generously offered to put up for a competition, a beautiful bottle of Salkin Gin. We'll sort out those details and we'll put a link on our social media and on the website, we'll put a link to Howard's uh, Salkin Gin website in all of our online places and hopefully you can all find and try some delicious Salkin Gin very soon. Thanks very much, Howard. Okay, thanks, Julie. Thank you. Thanks, Charlotte. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's tempting me to whip up a very large, refreshing gin and tonic. How about you, Jules? Absolutely. Although I have to say we're recording this at 10 something in the morning. So <laughs> I think I will have to wait until a little bit later, even in lockdown. So shall I tell you about the industry news I've come across this week? Yes, please. Morrison's new telephone shopping service, set up to help families without access to online deliveries, has received 100,000 orders in its first two months. 
The service for vulnerable and elderly people provides essential groceries and is specifically aimed at those who are self-isolating, elderly or vulnerable and not able to visit a shop. Morrison said the service had provided a lifeline for some customers who were able to get groceries from their local store without delivery charges. Customers can choose from the takeaway menu of essential groceries. They can also request additional items that are essential to their household. CEO of Marks and Spencer, Steve Rowe, said his company has drawn up a Never the Same Again programme to harness new shopper habits. One of the changes that Rowe comments on is that the trend towards digital has been accelerated. This is because more shoppers than ever are buying their groceries online. With unprecedented levels of new shoppers now buying online, it looks like the M&S strategy to start delivering groceries through the Ocado website from September is good timing for the retailer. Thanks, Jules. Great insights as always. So on to our listener questions for this week. What do people want to know? We've had some more really great questions. So talking of drinks, we've been asked what you would suggest for interesting non-alcoholic drinks. What do you have on offer, Charlotte? Well, I was thinking about some ideas and this is slightly influenced by some of my personal preferences. Personally, I don't really like sweet drinks too much. So I've got a few recommendations for you and these are for something different. So obviously, if you like soft drinks, juice, then there are lots of options available there. One thing you might not have heard of before that I think is such a delicious and interesting non-alcoholic drink is a shrub. Now, we had Angela talking about this last week. A shrub is actually a drinking vinegar, which is diluted. And this sounds really, really odd. It's a really, really old type of drink, but it's really coming back. They are really, really easy to make and are often made with a mixture of vinegar and fruit. And you can buy them as well. There's a really good company called Nonsuch who makes some really lovely shrubs. They are absolutely delicious. So if you like a sort of slightly fruity drink that is not too sweet and is really light, interesting and refreshing, I'd really recommend that you look up a shrub. And it's a shrub as in a bush, a plant. They are really worth investigating. Fermented drinks such as kombucha and kefir are lovely for non-alcoholic drinks. Kombucha is absolutely fantastic if you like something possibly a bit sweet, possibly a bit dry and sparkling. So kombucha has that lovely sort of body when it's nice and effervescent, that mouthfeel that you get with a lot of sort of light lagers or sparkling drinks and If you're trying to wean yourself off fizzy drinks, sugary fizzy drinks, kombucha is a great place to start. They are rich in probiotics and just lovely, lovely to drink. They're actually made from, it's a fermented tea drink. So it's really, really good for you and much lower sugar. Also water kefir is lovely. Milk kefir is great, but it's quite filling. You might not want to drink it as a sort of, as an alternative to an alcoholic drink, but um, water kefir is lovely and light and refreshing. I also really like at the moment mixtures of tonics or soda water with maybe a dash of bitters. Now that does contain a tiny bit of alcohol, but also some herbs such as rosemary, for example, um, big slice of lemon, lime, orange, grapefruit. That's just really nice and refreshing with a bit of ice, really easy to make and a really nice alternative. Well, that is interesting because I know Angela talked about a shrub and I was thinking, I'm not sure that I've heard that right. Isn't that a bush? What is a shrub? So I'm really glad you explained that. It did sound delicious. I just hadn't heard that term before. I love a kombucha. I'm a massive fermented fan. I make my own pickles and sauerkraut. 
I love a kombucha and I do drink a lot of kefir, but as you say, it, it is filling and I actually make it into a smoothie with some spinach and some frozen berries and some peanut butter. And that's, that's like a meal. It's absolutely gorgeous, mm-hmm. but not a replacement for booze, as you say. So thank you for those. The final question we have is a listener asking for advice on using gelatine for summer jellies, panna cotta and preserves. So gelatine is something that I am still slightly wary of. What is your take on gelatin? Well, gelatin is actually a really useful ingredient to have in the kitchen, but obviously dietary requirements and preferences about what you eat might dictate whether or not it appeals to you or not. If you are wanting a really good set for just, you know, a recipe to work and you don't care about what you're eating, then gelatin is pork gelatin is actually the best option. So sheet gelatin works really, really well. You can also get powdered gelatin and you would generally use two sheets or one teaspoon of powdered gelatin as a ratio to set probably about 300 mils or about half a pint of liquid, but you do need to check the instructions. If you just want a really good set and you want it to be really reliable, that will work really, really well. You can find vegetarian gelatin for sale as well. That tends to work pretty well too. Is it uh, yes, it is vegetarian. And there's also another product on the market called agar agar, which is a seaweed that will set, comes in uh, dried seaweed flakes. You will get a much softer set generally with that, but it works beautifully well. It's just a little bit different. So that's a really nice thing to look for. And also you mentioned preserves. Quite a lot of people, I've heard people making things like elderflower preserve at the moment, which is basically a sort of jelly. Uh, Liquid pectin is what you'd use if you're trying to get something like a jam or a jelly. If you cannot get liquid pectin, you can use apples as well. So cooking apples are great because they're really rich in natural pectin, which is a sort of natural gelling agent. So they'll work really well too. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for that, Charlotte. And thanks again to all our fabulous guests and lovely listeners. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to talking to you again next week. So we'd just like to finish by saying thanks for listening, folks. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question about food and drink during the pandemic, drop us an email. We're on hello at pandemic-pantry.co.uk. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Pandemic Pantry Podcast. And if you'd like to enter our weekly competition to win a case of delicious Moorish dips or one of our other great giveaways, just head to our website and look in the competition section. The website address once more is www.pandemic-pantry.co.uk and we'll see you next week.